Welcome to the Accessible Yoga Podcast, your weekly source for questions and answers around equity in yoga, hosted by Jeevana Heyman and Amber Carnes. Join us each week for powerful conversations with thought leaders at the intersection of justice, knowledge, and practice. Welcome to episode 33. I'm your host, Amber Carnes. In this episode, I'm talking with my friend, Anjali Sunita. Anjali is a yoga teacher, writer, Ayurveda practitioner, and the business owner behind Baltimore Yoga Village. In 2021, Baltimore Yoga Village completely pivoted its business model from two brick and mortar yoga studios to an online wellness ecosystem that platforms individual instructors and practitioners. In this episode, Anjali and I talk about pivoting to an online model during a pandemic, what the new business model is, and how others might consider moving to a more collaborative way of working. We discuss how our mindset around co-creating and co-working within our communities can be supportive rather than competitive, and we also explore topics like resilience, failure, and why starting over can be a good thing if we let it. Hope there are some insights in here for you as we all continue to move forward with our work in this year and beyond. Here we go. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. Anjali Sunita is here with me today. Hey, Anjali, how are you doing? Hi, good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's so good to have you. I'm glad we get to chat and catch up this way. Um, So Anjali and I met uh, when I first moved to Baltimore, uh, which is, I don't know, over a year ago, a little over a year ago, year and a half now. Um, And I was looking for places to practice and possibly places to teach. And I was just really blown away by Baltimore Yoga Village, which is the studio that um, where I met Anjali and she's going to talk much more about. Um, And really just how community driven, how diverse it was, kind of a a rare gem as far as yoga studios that I've visited. And so I was so excited to have you on the podcast because I know you've had a lot of changes and growth this year. And I think folks are going to get a lot out of this conversation. So thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm wondering if you would start by introducing yourself and just tell folks who you are, uh, where you are in the world, uh, what work you do, a little bit more about you. Thank you. Um, so my name is Anjali. Uh, I am a cisgendered woman. I go by she, her, uh, and I am um, biracial. I uh, have one parent from India and one from the United States, and that's informed a lot of my life and work. Um, and I am living right now in Otoroa, New Zealand, uh, on colonized land of the Maori people. Uh, I was visiting here when borders closed due to COVID-19 and, um, that really stuck me in. I, I have a partner here with two children and, um, I'm from Baltimore City, so I grew up in Baltimore. I've lived in a lot of places in the world, but for the most part, um, I'm very rooted there. And um, that is where I founded Baltimore Yoga Village, which was, as Amber said, a community-driven yoga and wellness center. And um, I also have an Ayurvedic practice uh, as I graduated from the Ayurvedic Institute. So I have a practice called Village Life Wellness and um, also ran a nonprofit program that was incubated under a really cool organization called Fusion Partnerships. And it was a nonprofit program supporting teachers of color in Baltimore to be paid 
to teach for free. Um, currently, it was in partnership with the Enoch Pratt Free Libraries throughout the city. And so my work, I would say, is uh, multifaceted. You know, I'm a student of the breath. Uh, pranayama is the core of all of my practices and what I love to teach the most. And um, as a practitioner, I work privately with people one-to-one and now digitally online. And I guess the biggest core of my work is just restoring what is most sacred uh, to me. And for me, that's the practices and the medicines that have been colonized out of my family um, and also the natural wisdom of clients tuning into what is sacred and natural to each person and also really building community spaces to combat what I think is like probably the root of so much illness for us in this modern society world, which is loneliness. Uh, right. So um, my work really sits uh, at, at a lot of junctures of physical wellness, mental wellness, community building. Um, and then as a result of that and, and the amount of amazing people that I've met with so many gifts, uh, it has also flowed into really amplifying other people's voices who have gifts. And so that's a lot of what I wind up doing on the day to day. Yeah, thanks for that. I, I um, really wanted to bring you on the podcast because, well, you and I have been chatting here and there, like since the pandemic started. And, you know, we were planning to do some things together um, in 2020 and beyond here in Baltimore. <laughs> but you're in New Zealand. And who knows when you'll be coming back? I don't uh, think you should come back right now. It's a little mess over here. Um, yeah. <laughs> we'll stay for there. Anyway, so I know that you've had a big pivot this year and um, probably everyone's sick of that word. But mm -hmm. I've been really interested to talk with other folks in our quote unquote industry <laughs> in yoga land who have found a way to make it work this year, um, because I know so many of us are struggling, especially studio owners that own brick and mortar studios. And you had two, and now you have a really vibrant digital platform. And so I'd love to just hear a little bit about that process. Um, I know you changed from you know, the two in-person locations to an online platform. So can you talk more about like, what is the model that you have? How is it different from an online studio? And kind of talk us through like, what did you do? What does your business look like now? How has it changed? A little bit about that. Oh, yeah. Um, I think I'm still processing how the whole process has been like everybody. It's just such a such a challenging time. Um, and it's taken a lot of different phases. So, I mean, the first phase that we had was, of course, getting everybody online, getting everybody trained on Zoom and, and all of that, you know, trying to figure out what to do. We closed before we were even mandated to close. Um, for the reasons I know that um, I'm sure have already been talked about on this podcast. And, and so we, we just went into immediate, you know, crisis mode, trying to keep all the teachers, you know, having classes to teach and everybody at a time when everyone needs it the most uh, connected. And so it started out looking a little bit like, what everything, what a lot of things look like right now, which is like that online studio where the studio just moved onto, onto, you know, the internet. Right. But, um, 
I was not satisfied with that for so many reasons. Uh, for one, you know, I just, it, this whole pandemic gave me as well as so many people just an opportunity to reassess like what is really important? Where am I draining myself? Where am I kind of uh, captured by this capitalist system? How can I create more of what it is that I always really intended with the community centers, with, you know, a village of practitioners from different lineages. And it just took me into also like a dark night of the soul, you know, as we weren't getting funding and we didn't get PPP or grants or anything like that. Just like, right. how, how do I, you know, recreate this? How do I create something that's even more to the point of what of what I had hoped Baltimore Yoga Village would be. Um, so I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But but what it is, what it is that we've landed on is what I would call like a wellness ecosystem. Basically, I understood that our website had a lot of value. You know, we pulled up very high. We were independent yoga studios, so we weren't like a corporate you know, membership based kind of place. But we had really strong teachers with quality programs who liked to network and liked to learn from each other. And um, we had a really strong community of a lot of people who were a lot older uh, than most yoga studios. We had a lot of therapeutic kind of classes. And I realized that I just, I really wanted to keep this community going, but I wanted to do so in a way that would actually be sustainable for the teachers. And uh, for a while there, of course, it was the struggle of not being funded and needing to pay all those bills anyway, and all of that liability. Um, but then, you know, as soon as I was able to let go of those leases it no longer felt fair or equitable to continue paying teachers, you know, as if I had a brick and mortar, you know, so that's, mm -hmm. that is a big difference between a lot of online studios and, and this wellness ecosystem that I'm talking about. So what we've created is a, is a digital platform where teachers have unique landing pages within our website. So they pull up highly the way that Baltimore Yoga Village pulled up highly, probably higher than they would by themselves, you know, with their mm -hmm. own individual you mean website. In, in search search engines and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, in SEO yeah. and, you know, they're just they're just more visible in that way, at least to the local community or anyone searching for yoga and wellness in Baltimore. Um, and they have whole pages for themselves where Teachers can be contacted by students directly. Um, they have full control over all of their content, um, all of their imagery, and they get paid directly by the students. And so that took a bit of investment uh, from a tech perspective to have something built where we no longer need to use MindBody Online and a lot of those like you know, software engines that mm -hmm. are really only allow one business to pay out many people as contractors. In this case, we're a wellness ecosystem. Everyone's getting paid direct by their students. And so we together maintain ourselves as a visible 
as a visible, you know, as a visible group of people. And, and yet everybody is fully free and fully responsible for their own work, which is Mm -hmm. ironically what I really, what I always wanted to create and incentivize. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I hear um, from a lot of of studio owners that oftentimes um, like things like marketing are tricky because the the teachers oftentimes expect the studio to do the marketing and fill the classes. And um, I know that tension is there sometimes between the, you know, taking responsibility to sort of hustle and build rapport with your students and all of those things that we kind of, you know, that you, I'm sure, think about as a studio owner and um, has that changed the, like, has that, has that been better for, for you and for your teaching team to put some of that responsibility back with the teachers? I mean, I think it's great. And I think it's, I think it's, well, I, I mean, I'm also a teacher, so I have a hard time understanding why anyone wouldn't want to connect with their students, you know? And so in this case, it, it really does put the onus on everyone to connect with their students to, I do marketing and they do marketing and we share that responsibility. Right. Um, so they'll make a hundred percent of their income and I still use my website. I still use my mailing list, which is, you know, more than 10,000 people that I can mail out to in the, in the local area. And they, you know, can take hold of, of bringing people in as well. And they're more incentivized to do that. I would think so because they're making so much more. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, they're not as stretched thin in that way. There is a little bit more responsibility on their side because that takes time. Mm. Um, so, but I, it feels good to me. It feels, it feels like I can actually focus on what I do best, which is amplifying their voices and teaching, you know? And I think that that's what a lot of studio owners do best. Um, you know, well, different people have different skills, but, but, uh, that's at least teaching a lot of the, a lot of studio owners are teachers, you know, and they run the teacher trainings and that's how the brick and mortar continues and all of that. And yet they're doing that and every other job at the same time, you know? And so, I'm just less, I'm not as stretched thin. I feel, you know, like it's an honest use of my time. Like I can clearly deliver what I know how to do and I can support teachers in um, developing programs and finding their Mm -hmm. voice, which is something that I love. Uh, And so I feels good. It feels like I'm being compensated for my labor. It feels like they're being compensated for their labor. And that's the way it should be. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Sounds so simple. So I'm wondering if you'd be willing to share, I know you're sharing a little bit about how the model works. And you said that like students, they get paid directly by their students. And then do you get a percentage or are they paying like a a rental fee or some sort of, how does that model work? Just so other folks can, you know, maybe reimagine for their own organization. I am a consultant to them. Okay. Um, and that is the difference, which by the way, everyone is really much cleaner when it comes to (laughs) your taxes and dealing with the differences between the state and the federal and all that. Um, I would love to spend some time helping people with that kind of work as well, because, Mm. um, there's a lot of debacles that 
that happen when you have independent contractors um, and it's not affordable for most people to have teachers as employees. And this just nixes that whole problem. Um, they are getting paid directly. So the money goes to them and I am a contractor to them. Mm-hmm. I, I think it can be done in a lot of different ways. I'm, I'm probably charging way less than I could, you know, but sure. for me, it's a service. And so mm-hmm. I'm, um, you know, I, I am able to log in to their classes and see who's paid what. And then I just charge 10% for, so mm-hmm. I invoice them for 10%, right? That's sort of the nuts and bolts of it. And, and that, that is, um, it means the reason I chose to originally I was going to do a monthly fee and I had all different kinds of ideas of what to do that I thought would be better for me. But when it comes down to it, a lot of people don't haven't had the experience of being in business for themselves and weighing up, you know, what they're making and what they're putting in and their time and their costs and all of that. And so I wanted to create a system that was pretty much zero cost up front for the teachers. Like they still hold liability, but it's zero cost up front. So mm-hmm. um, that's why I'm doing a just a percentage and it's a low yeah. percentage. And then um, they pay, they're paying the, the software fees. And we integrated with a software that is also zero cost up front. So they just pay a little bit per ticket or whatever that they sell, uh, like for their class. That's how it's, it's phrased, you know, and, um, mm-hmm. and the credit card processing fees, right. Which, you know, part of this is, is training people and teaching people the pros and cons, like you build that yeah. into your cost or not, you know, and that kind of thing. That's just simple stuff that basically means, you know, they have no costs up front. And I, I get, I make a little when they make a little. So we're both, we're both incentivized to market and put their classes out there and build the platform. I think that's so smart. I, um, I wonder how this has changed kind of the dynamics of the teaching team or your staff. Like, um, I know when we chatted about this a few times, like you've mentioned, you know, now not everyone has to be local. And I I know there's other things like that. Can you talk about that a little bit? I'm so excited about that because I've traveled and taught in a lot of places and met people all over. So right now there's, you know, a teacher from the Cayman Islands and there's someone from New York and someone in New Jersey. And I've been talking to some of my friends in India and, you know, it's, it's, and I'm in New Zealand, you know, so Mm -hmm. I'm loving that part of my work with the yoga centers, I used to bring people from the outside in. And I always felt like I was bringing, you know, Baltimore is like a small kind of insular, it's like a big town and it's very inwardly (laughs) focused in a way, you know, people often find it hard to, to, to move there and find their people right away. It takes some time, you know, for many people. And so I loved bringing more influences and people from the outside in. So I get to do that again, um, to my mailing list and that's cool. So there's that. And because I think the model is what it is, um, (laughs) you know, I always really 
uh, I know you say that our studio was diverse and, and it was in a lot of ways diverse, but you know, we always still struggled. I always struggled. I always got tired of like celebrating every time I saw, Oh, like there's more Brown people, black people right. are showing up. <laughs> like that. I, I got tired of se- that internal celebration that I had. And I was always <laughs> sort of trying to find ways and all of that, you know, like, many are and and struggling against a lot of things that aren't just yoga, you know, and, and aren't just the way that I represent, but also, you know, Baltimore's real estate and the lines yeah. and the zip codes. So being free of that is incredible, being free of the zip codes and also having this model that is more equitable. And there are so many people already out there doing their own thing without efforts, with zero effort toward it, like our teaching staff has now become, you know, I don't know what it is, maybe about 50%, at least people of color. And that's probably going to grow. And that didn't take Mm -hmm. any big effort. It's just the structure of it has allowed for that. Um, And that's, you know, one of those moments where I'm just banging myself on the head going, yeah, of course. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Right. Why, why, why struggle so hard? This is what it is. Um, So that's changed because it's online, because people are in different uh, time zones. uh, It's, you know, nobody's struggling for, for the one great evening slot or, you know, the morning slot that works around their kid's school schedule or whatever, you know, like now it's much broader in that way. I didn't really feel a lot of competition in our studio. It didn't really have that vibe, but I heard that a lot of places did. And I would think this model would help with that. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's also making me just, just let go of some things. It's like, you know, this is going to work for who it's going to work for. It's going to, you know, I have to let go of the teacher who's unwilling. I mean, it just doesn't work for them or me. If they're unwilling to do any of the work, then that's right. Then I have to let that go. And then, you know, that's, that's, that's necessary. And, um, there's a lot of people who really are excited about doing this part of the work and I get to be excited for them. So that dynamic, just the joy factor for me, uh, is there again, which I felt like was kind of missing for the last few years for me. So Mm -hmm. that's nice. Yeah, that's, you know, that's really interesting that um, I know a lot of folks have struggled this year with like the feeling that they have to start over. I mean, I definitely had that feeling, you know, I have built up this business and done all this marketing in 2019 and ready to just like coast into my success. And then, nope. So we got to figure out a whole new way. So I know you and I have talked about that a little bit, the whole like starting over and like being resilient through uncertainty and stuff like that. So I wondered if you could talk about that a little bit. And I know there are certain parts of the this sort of starting over a reset button that have really worked for you. And Mm -hmm. so I wonder if you could talk a little about that. Well, like I said, I, you know, initially went into the dark night of the soul. You know, I really loved the yoga centers and they were like that 14 year old child with an attitude, you know, and they, they had a life of their own, but I loved them. Um, and it was enough for me to make it a labor of love for that long. And so I, you know, 
I, I think like you, I, I mourned, I screamed, I cried, I prayed, I went through the process. <laughs> the <whole> right. Thing, <laughs> allowed myself to feel not only for myself and mostly not for myself, but mostly just, you know, a, a real grieving as to what was happening, what's been happening in the United States, especially um, with regards to the pandemic and all the police brutality and the inequities that are, that are there and, and becoming more apparent. And, um, you know, also the small businesses and just, just feeling a lot of that suffering. So I, I, I went down, um, for a bit there and, and in, in those times for me, when I, when I go into those places, I'm not afraid of those places. And so it's yep. fine. Um, so it just became, I mean, it probably, I probably wasn't great to live with, but, um, I, <laughs> but you know, it gives me that opportunity to, to really think and get clear on what is it, you know, what is it that really is important to me? So for me, it was like, quality service and programs for people in my city, you know, um, there being a community like a village, there being a network for, for teachers, you know, there being accessibility and, and honoring roots of the practice. And I looked at all of that and I was like, there's no reason why that can't continue, but it's going to have to change shape, you know, and I knew that. And I went through that lots of different shapes in my head. Um, and so the other thing is I was clear that I just didn't want to teach yoga teacher training online. I, I just, I finished out our training that was going on, but I didn't want to do that, um, mm-hmm. anymore. And I, and I, and I, I haven't, I've wanted for a long time to teach more in-depth courses that, it doesn't matter whether there's a certificate. It has nothing to right. do with uh, becoming an asana instructor. So I started developing curriculums and, uh, you know, I taught, co-taught um, a course called Yoga as a Living Practice for four months that we're going to do again this year that is amazing for all the reasons. Like we get to work with people from everywhere online um, mm-hmm. and it really honors the roots. It allows me to teach, you know, yoga history and share philosophy deeper than before and, um, have some of the important conversations that, that we've always needed to have in the yoga studio around equity. And, and so just developing programs and curriculums were a part of this, you know, for me as well. And then the way it all shaked out, you know, I, though there was this one point where someone offered to buy my business and buy the studios. And that's, I think the biggest turning point for me when I was approached and suffering so much financially and someone kind of waved that they had money in front of my face. It really felt like that. (laughs) I was like, yep. I really am just going to stick to my values. I don't care if I go broke. Uh (laughs) That was the moment when I was just like, you know, I'm in New Zealand. It would make perfect sense to sell my studios right now. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Someone wants to buy it, but they were going to be open and Mm -hmm. they didn't care about, you know, or they, they saw it differently than I did apparently. Um, and and the vibe and the tone and all of that. And I was like, I love these students. I love yeah. these teachers and I love them in a particular way. And there's no way I'm going to 
let that be how this goes out. I was being totally blatantly honest right now. So, um, So that was the big turning point for me. And so it became a process of, and I, this is what I recommend to people who are in that process is just like, seriously, make some lists. Like what is really important to you? What is the core of it? Why do you do what you do? Like reconnect to that. This is the perfect time to reconnect to the why. Um, and then get bold and creative about the structure and you can be willing to fail. You know, that I always have to be willing to fail before I start something. Um, that's, that's how I wound up with yoga centers at age 25, you know, it was just that I had no clue what I was doing and I was willing to fail. (laughs) (laughs) So that's, you know, there's that. And yeah, I, I think it was, and that's what starting over has been for me again. It's just being like, I'm willing to fail again. You know, I'm a little sad that I, you know, don't have a lot of financial resource at age 40, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm more on a life path than I am on a career path. And I think that that holds for a lot of people in this quote unquote industry. And so finding what, what really matters, um, to you is probably the biggest part of the resilience process. Yeah. I, I love how you said, you know, you're on a life path, not a career path. And you talked about like reconnecting to your why. And I wonder, I know you, um, spoke before about like when you were being thoughtful about what this model would look, look like and how you wanted to work going forward, you know, how did you decide what to keep and what to let go of? Like, do you have any advice for getting reconnected to why are there practices that you use for that or, or how does that look for you? Oh my God. I just think it's different for everyone, you know, but for me, I never stopped teaching for a second. So I was remaining in community, remaining connected to people, you know, and in a service current related, like it's a service related industry or whatever that we're in. Mm -hmm. It means it has to do with the people and what people are going through at the time. So I just stayed connected in, in dialogue with people. Um, and so I can feel in my body when I get jolts of like, yes, this is meaningful and jolts of like, Oh God, this is hard, but it's worth it. And it's, you know, worth doing this work and looking at this thing and, you know, how can I support this more going forward? And then times when I'm just like, I'm drained, I'm, this is drab and it's not really a good use of time or life. Um, and so I just, I tend to listen to those sensations. Um, there have been years where, where things kind of became a little more autopilot and it hasn't been that way. So this is a big time of a lot of feeling. And so it's worth listening to the feelings I wrote, I blogged, I, when I got connected to the why I remember, I started remembering and dreaming about things that have happened, a lot of traumatic things in my life and different things that have happened. And, um, I started writing about them and that was really helpful for me. I realized that, you know, equity and accessibility is super important for so many reasons. And I have personal connections to that as well, you know, around being biracial, but also, you know, being a business owner and I had major health problems without health insurance and getting caught in that, you know, in the U S and so just like writing about those experiences helped, 
again, reconnect me to my why and my who, you know, was in front of me. And then, you know, the last piece is the what. So how do you want to, how do you want to move forward? Um, and, and that honestly just came to me in a hit randomly. I was just sitting there going, what if, you know, and my partner was here and he's a marketing consultant, he's part of our team, you know, and I was just like, what if I do this? And he was like, yes, I think that's brilliant. So <laughs> that's yeah. often how it is. It's a big trudgy, muddy process until all of a sudden the little light bulb goes off, you know? Yeah, I love it. And I, I think that really resonates with me too. And I often do check in with my body too, to like, is that a yes or a no? And <laughs> I feel like my body always knows before my brain or is like maybe more honest, mm -hmm. right? And that um, am I having that like energized yes feeling or that like resentful duty feeling? Yes. And that's like so helpful <laughs> for clarifying. <laughs> do you know, I yes. know you know what I mean because yes. you're laughing. <laughs> yes, I do. Um, so um, I wonder if you could uh, talk about... Um, how you, I, I know one of the things that really um, I was impressed by was, like we said, the community driven aspects of the physical spaces that you curated. And so I'm wondering um, if there's anything you've done to be especially thoughtful about continuing that feeling of community online or um, how you're encouraging maybe teachers to take some of the responsibility for like making sure that their students stay engaged and that kind of thing. Or is that just happening naturally? Will you tell us a little about that? Um, it's both. Some of it is happening naturally just because I think, I don't know, for us during the pandemic, it just seemed like that's the big craving. And so the students are doing that amongst themselves in part, uh, online, at least what I've seen in my classes, they love to talk to each other before and after. And, um, so that, that's sweet, but there's also, I'm really focusing on courses and, there, there's such a difference between a drop-in class and a course in terms of the kind of community that can be built. Um, and that's, I think, something I've been really encouraging teachers to do, partially because I want this to be a really good, strong educational platform. And uh, there's just more, I think, education besides, uh, you know, kind of direction giving that that can happen during courses, you know, supplementary materials and, mm -hmm. you know, curriculum building. And I love the idea of teachers finding their voices. And so doing that through building their signature courses and getting clear about those whys. We've had some, we've had a few group meetings in the beginning as teachers. I think, I think I'd like to do some more of that as soon as I can. We've only been running this for a month now through January. So soon, and then creating other networking possibilities. One of the teachers created uh, a little sort of sign up for teachers who want to give each other classes for free to maintain some of that. Uh, and that's an optional thing. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, that will be my next focus. I'm also inviting people to write on the blog. I think I would like to do some more teacher featuring. And um, 
I have this dream of a summit that I really want to do all the things, you know, like the podcasts and the summits and the, you know, all the things eventually when I have some time, I would really like to do that because I think it does the, all of the dialogue that happens around the practices is so important for building the community. So, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that um, I've talked with a lot of teachers who um, are trying to figure out a way forward and studio owners and, um, you know, the, the, the topic of working collaboratively comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. And people have had some people have had very good experiences with that. And a lot of people seem very hesitant to work collaboratively. Um, and I'm wondering if you could talk about like, the perks of that and why you think that's a strong way to build community and work together, especially as we have to be imaginative about new ways of being and working. Like I think the COVID, uh, the COVID thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> COVID-19 is going to change uh, a lot of, it's going to change the face of yoga in the U S forever, I think, yeah. um, possibly. And so, um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about collaboration why that works for you? Um, there's different ways that I work collaboratively and the one that just came to mind that I'm enjoying the most is teaching collaborations because of course it shares voice and all of these more universal truths that we learn through the philosophy and, uh, accessible practices still come through an individual. And so having multiple voices, even on the same topic, uh, just really enriches the body of a course. So I'm enjoying that. I'm enjoying creating curriculums and inviting people to do segments. I've been, I, you know, I watched the whole accessible yoga conference and I was like, Ooh, Ooh, I want to talk to her. And I want to, it's like, just, I'm enjoying that, uh, finding, finding other people. It also feels less lonely, you know, um, Mm especially around the work of, of, I want to say honoring, you know, the roots of yoga and stuff. I, I, I really didn't know that many people, uh, in my area that were interested in that. And, um, so it was kind of a submission for me and Mm -hmm. it felt very lonely, but now there's so many people out there that I can see more easily that are doing the work. So that's been great about coming online and, um, so I'm just psyched about collaborating with people. There's, there's, there's such a wealth so many people have to share. And uh, I, I just I can't see any downside to offering space and voice to a, a lot of different people to share their perspectives. It draws a more diverse crowd um, with more diverse perspectives that we can learn from each other. Uh, that's... To me, it's just a no-brainer. The competition aspect of yoga has always just been baffling um, to me. I've not really, I've closed my ears, you know, as people used to come in the studio and tell me about other spaces and this is happening, that is happening. I was like, I don't want to know. Right. I don't want to know. So it's nice to go from I don't want to know to I'm finding people that I really enjoying collaborating with um, and amplifying and, and, and receiving that in return. Um, and that's been really nice from a teaching perspective. From the perspective of this platform, um, we make each other visible, right? And, and that 
I don't know. Sorry, what was the question? Like, why is that good? Like, I think that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know one thing that we chatted about before was, um, and and one way that I've loved working collaboratively with people is especially when other people have skills that I don't have, you know what I mean? And so it's really, I think, a beautiful thing to be able to you know, discover like who else in your orbit, like, oh, you don't understand this aspect of tech. Well, like, who do you know that can do web development or, you know, you don't know how to write a, I don't know, uh, an employment agreement for your new platform. Like, do you have anybody who's illegal? You know what I mean? And so um, I know that's been a big thing for me um, when I've done collaborations is just like that. spreading out the expertise or whatever. Oh, that, that side. Yes. I mean, not just from the teacher's side, but this is the first time. So when I, when I started the yoga centers, I just walked into spaces that existed already. I, I went, I was teaching and someone was tired and she gave it over to me. <laughs> um, and that's how that happened. A foist. <laughs> yeah. And then the second time it was a place going out of business and there was people in the community going, can you just look at this place, you know, but it already existed. It already had the model that everyone uses and uh, a lot of places use. And this was a huge learning as we grew, because as we grew, I realized I didn't have a team, you know, and I was spreading myself thin. And so now starting over at 40, I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I need someone for business consultation. I need to have contracts. And so I have someone who's a prior corporate tax lawyer, come acupuncturist who helped me make, you know, contracts that make sense for us. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's been really relieving that's been really relieving just to, I've talked to other business owners who, don't know how to do their taxes and they've been in business for so long and they've never done 1099s. And it's like the amount of weight and pressure and stress that can be held just because you know that you don't know, but you don't Mm -hmm. have the resources to find out is, is so not worth it. Um, so having a team has been, has been really helpful, you know, a regular business team, an accountant, a marketing consultant, a business consultant, a person writing contracts, prior lawyer, you know, that's Mm -hmm. been invaluable. Um, you know, and I think part of what the reason why I didn't have that team before is I just thought it would be too expensive. I thought, you know, those people are on your team all the time. No, they're consultants. You just, can pay them one off here and there and get the consultation you need when you need it, you know, like, (laughs) yeah. Um, lots of learnings for me. It's, 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 it's really good to have that support Mm, because I'm not a business person. Not really. Yeah. And I think, you know, to what you said before about like the, the way that this has allowed you to focus on what you're good at, which is teaching Mm -hmm. and also supporting your community and amplifying their voices. And I, think so many teachers, like you said, that have taken over studios or maybe found themselves more on like the business side of things, like miss that, that teaching and that connection with students. So I love, um, you know, exploring this topic as a way to think about like, how could you reimagine, you know, what you're engaging with the work, maybe where you could get some support and stuff like that Mm -hmm. for the folks listening. So thanks for sharing about Mm -hmm. that. This has been an amazing conversation, Anjali. Thank you so Mm -hmm. much for your time and for sharing so generously about this. I really hope that people will be able to, um, 
spark their imagination and take home their own insights from this. I wonder if you can share a little bit about how folks can work with you or study with you or where they can check you out online before we sign off. Thank you for that. Yeah. As far as teaching, you know, um, pranayam, yoga history, Ayurveda, these are, these are the areas that I most often, uh, work with people in their teacher trainings and their longer sessions of things. Um, although I love asana and everything else too, this is, these are the areas I often get called in my personal website for those kinds of things. And for consultation is village life, wellness, village life, wellness.com village life, wellness on Instagram, village life, wellness on Facebook. Um, and then the platform for, uh, teachers, for people who want to become uh, part of the program, uh, that is baltimoreyogavillage.com. So you can read and you can see all the other teachers' landing pages and um, you can contact me through that website. Awesome. And be sure to check the show notes because we'll have links to all of Anjali's offerings and platforms and all of that stuff. So we'd love for you to, to connect with her. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm really glad we got to chat today. Thank you, Amber. Thank you for your right. work. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks for joining us for another week of the podcast. I hope this conversation was inspiring to you. I know it was to me as a business owner who's moving forward in these really uncertain times. And if you've been craving some more tangible support in your journey as an entrepreneur, as a yoga teacher, maybe you have some ideas for what you want to create and offer, but aren't really sure how to see them through. I'm so excited to tell you about our newest offering at the Accessible Yoga School, which is called Retreat to Spirit mentorship, connecting your yoga business to heart-centered service. It's facilitated by Pamela Stokes Eggleston and Amina Naru, and enrollment is opening on March 23rd. This is a really unique opportunity to get practical guidance and learn how to develop an impactful, distinctive, and successful yoga career that's based in yoga philosophy and ethics. It's a mentorship program where you'll learn things like community building skills, how to build a network that really works for you professionally how to develop your marketing and communication techniques to make you an effective teacher and business owner, how to understand cultural barriers as they relate to health and well-being and to build a business that supports equity and social justice. And really the overall theme is to develop compassionate leadership skills, business competence, and business integrity. Pam and Amina are committed to helping other teachers find a way to expand their offerings while staying true to yoga and to their work dismantling white supremacy. They are both internationally recognized leaders in the field of service and yoga with over 30 years of combined experience. And their unique leadership style provides people who are seeking more joy, peace, and happiness with their tools of mentorship and education and compassionate leadership so that they can create spaces for growth and transformation. So we hope you'll come check out this Retreat to Spirit Mentorship. It's a really unique program where you focus on a project like pivoting your yoga studio to move it online or something like that. Um, they will be offering guidance and support for the challenges that are really unique to us as yoga business owners. This course is starting April 1st. Registration's opening in a few weeks. So join the wait list and check out all the details at AccessibleYogaTraining.com. Subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a 
question or a comment, we'd love to hear from you and get your feedback. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.